Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live. Today, my guest is the author of Working for Yourself, Law and Taxes for Independent Contractors, Freelancers, and Consultants, Stephen Fishman. Stephen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I really want to talk about tax deductions for sound engineers, uh, the pros and cons of being a freelancer, and health insurance. But first of all, um, what do you like about living in Alameda? Please say the Pinball Museum. The Pinball Museum pinball is museum. a beautiful little museum. <laughs> what I like best, it's wonderfully sunny here. It's one of the sunniest parts of the Bay Area. Can they use the terms freelancer and independent contractor interchangeably? Yes, you can. They, they mean the same thing to most people. Okay. They're all, it all means you're self-employed. You have your own business. You're not an employee for somebody else's business. You're selling your own goods or services. And it's also self-employed, freelancer, independent contractor. Some people call themselves consultants. Mm -hmm. It all means the same thing. Sole proprietor, it all means the same thing. I find that when I tell people I'm a freelancer, that seems to be a little bit more common vernacular. But if I say independent contractor, then they want to know it seems more serious, like I should have a contractor number, I yeah. maybe have a fictitious business name, all those things. It depends on the, the type of business you're in for High-tech uh, businesses, freelancer is very commonly used, whereas for like in the construction trades, it's the word freelancer is not used. You're an independent contractor if you're doing construction work. And, but freelancer is very commonly used today, especially in, in the high-tech area. Okay. But it, legally, actually, the word freelancer has no legal meaning. The only the word independent contractor, that has a legal meaning for tax purposes. It means you're... You're not an employee is what it means. And that has all kinds of consequences tax-wise. So call it whatever you want it. Legally, we are all independent contractors. Yes, you are, okay. if you're in business for yourself. What I really wanted to ask from that is, um, is there any reason that an independent sound engineer or sound designer should be anything other than a sole proprietorship? Well, if you're working for yourself, if you have, if you have more than one person in your business, if you have a partner, you can't be a sole proprietor. You've got to be... A, in a partnership or a limited liability company or a corporation, that's if there's more than one person who owns the business. Okay. But if it's just a one-owner business, a sole proprietor is fine. Yeah. I don't know any sound engineers who you know have employees or more than one person who owns the business. You know, the main reason people like to form uh, corporations and limited liability companies it's uh, to limit their liability for lawsuits and, and things. But I think. For a sound engineer, I'm not sure you have much in the way of uh, liability to worry about. No, and uh, when we go to work at venues, I think the liability is normally on that venue, right? right? Even if we use their la I mean, we're using their ladders usually, their equipment. Um, I guess if we brought our own equipment and that piece of equipment fell on someone, then we would be liable for that? Theoretically, but I, I would just, they might sue you, but they would really want to sue the the person with the money, mm -hmm. which wouldn't be you. <laughs> it would be uh, the person who hired you, the organization, and they right. would have insurance. It's it's theoretically possible, though, and you, sh you can get liability insurance for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it would cost you, but you definitely can get it. I don't know any um, sound engineers who have it. Right. See, it's but, probably very rare that yeah. anything that happens. It's 
it's a low liability profession, it sounds like. Um, so, uh, you know, a sole proprietor is all you need. It's cheap, easy to do. Yeah. You know, people think if they form a corporation, you know, they won't be liable for any energetic debts or things. That's not true. And when you run your own business, they make you uh, co-sign any loan you get or use your, if you have a business credit card, you have to sign personally for it. Hmm. So you really can't avoid uh, debts if you have a one-person business by incorporating. Okay. So a sole proprietor, to me, that's the way to go. I've been doing that for over 20 years. And the beauty of being a sole proprietor, you don't have to file any paperwork. All you do is when you file your taxes, you uh, include Schedule C. Mm-hmm. And that's all you have to do. If you want to get a business license, you can do that, but usually not necessary. No, and in California, it is more expensive than in other states. Yes, it is. I remember I did that in Texas, kind of just for fun. Like, I didn't really need to, but I thought it made me look more professional. Super cheap. Right. Come out here, and it's like, some people do it for that purpose to get (laughs) look professional, yeah. And then, you know, each city has their own little business license in each county, and just a way for them to make extra money, you know. In the introduction to your book, Working for Yourself, um, you write being self employed can be both a dream and a nightmare. So I agree with that, and I want to tell you why, but I want you to tell me your reasoning for that first. Well, it can be a dream if you can make a living at it, and uh, you don't have all the problems that employees have. You don't have somebody bossing you around, and you don't have to go to the same office every day from 9 to 5 or 9 to 9, whatever. In your own boss, you're your own boss, which can be a a great lifestyle if you can make a living at it. Mm If you can make a living at it, then it can be a real nightmare because um, there's nobody who's going to pay you every two weeks or every month. You've got to go out and get your business and get paid. And if you can't do that, you can be in trouble real fast. And of course, even if you have clients, they don't always pay you uh, quickly or mm-hmm. even ever sometimes. For me, the dream is control, like you were saying. And I'll, I'll just add that for those people who have read the book Flow, and I just read that a few months ago, which is why I mention it, but I'm not going to try to say the author's name because it's too hard. <laughs> but, right, I've read that book, yeah. Um, uh, the author lists one of the keys to happiness is some level of control over your environment. And I feel like that makes a lot of sense in this case because friends of mine who are employees and are also unhappy being employees in their jobs um, often cite the lack of control as the central reason for that. And um, it seems like there are all these problems inherent with um, the environment that you might feel powerless over. So independent contractors can exercise more control over their environment and in a lot of ways. Exactly. And if you don't like a client, you can fire them. Mm -hmm. Can't do that when you're an employee. You don't like your boss. You can't fire your boss. I guess you can quit your job, but it's not so easy. That's right. Um, So, you know, it's... I think the control is what people really like, and they mm-hmm. don't have someone, someone they're answering to every day. And the kind of person who likes that, you know, they, they like being an independent contractor. If someone just wants uh, someone to tell them what to do and give them a paycheck every two weeks, it's not for them. You've got to be um, self-motivated and a kind of a go-getter type person to be successful. So that leads right into what I was thinking about is the nightmare in this case is that the constant uncertainty. Um, How do I promote myself? How do I find clients? How do I keep those clients? How do I make sure that I'm making a living wage and not exposing myself to unnecessary liability? 
there's so many details and unknowns that I face as a contractor, it can make it feel like a nightmare. So I'll just add one last scary, or one last detail that I think is the single most scary thing about um, the life of an independent contractor, and that is that the client might not pay. And it's happened to me a couple of times, and it just feels terrible. It's even if it was situ, you know, conditions that were out of my control, I couldn't have done anything about it. It still just feels so bad. Right. It's never happened to me, but I can imagine it's the worst thing that can happen to an independent contractor, especially if you do a good job and they just deadbeats, you know, and you, and you can't get the money out of them. They don't have money, or they're out of business. It really sucks, and it's it's part of the risk of being in business for yourself. You have no guarantee anyone will, will pay you what they owe you. You can always sue them, of course, which can work. You can, if it depends on how much they owe you. You can sue them in small claims court here in California for up to $2,500. And that's very cheap and easy to do. But it doesn't guarantee you'll get paid. You may get a judgment and it doesn't guarantee they'll pay it. But it can, it can work sometimes. But it's a lot of trouble. And you hate to have to go through that. Of course, a lot of people, they'll pay late. They do pay eventually, but they take some forever, and that's a real pain, too. Um, when you start a job, it's always good to make it clear when you want to be paid. If it's going to be 30 days after you submit an invoice, make that clear in your letter agreement or contract, whatever you have. Some people will provide a, uh, a discount if they're paid on time, a 5 or 10% discount. Mm-hmm. That's a nice incentive for a client to pay you. That actually leads right into another question I wanted to ask you. Um, when invoicing clients, what is the shortest term I can use? In other words, how fast can I get paid? I ask you this because I had a client who once told me that he thought that the legal limit was seven days, that I couldn't ask him for any quicker. There is no legal limit. Okay. It's whatever you and the client can agree to. You can require them to pay you that, that very day. As soon as you're done working, give me the money. <laughs> yeah. There is no legal limit. It can be a week. 30 days is a very common term for many businesses, but you don't have to use 30 days. It can be 60 days, two weeks, 24 hours. Of course, a lot of contractors, they require part of the payment up front, like they want half up front who are doing a project. Mm-hmm. I just paid someone to create a website for me, and they made me pay half up front, and I had no problem with that. Mm-hmm. So having done that, they were probably thought I'd, pay the rest of it when it was done, which I did. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to get an idea if a client's going to be a deadbeat requiring an advanced payment. Mm-hmm. If you've never heard of a cl- potential client, you, know, you may want to get more up front. I'll just tell you a quick uh, story about that, that I think a lot of times that is the case, that those are just misunderstandings, like someone's lost the invoice. Yeah. Um, I worked for someone just for a day. It wasn't that much. I think it was just um, it was less than $500, and they didn't pay me and just sort of disappeared. And I would check back in with them, couldn't get a hold of them for months. Uh, finally, when they, a year went by, and then they wanted to come and do the same show at the same venue, and the venue said, you never paid the sound technician, what's going on? The reason that they never got back in touch with me, they thought that I was incompetent because they had accidentally paid someone else oh. on PayPal. And, and so they thought, this person, I already paid this person, they obviously don't know what they're doing, I'm not even going to waste my time. Finally, when they were forced to talk to me, then we worked it out. That's why it's good to talk to them, because you never know what what the deal is. Yeah. I really believe in talking. I guess a lot of people today like to send email for everything, but I think for debt collections in particular, it's good to talk to somebody, because 
you know, I'll just ignore a, an email easily. Yep, email's easy to ignore. You can find relevant links and more information about today's interview by using the search box on sounddesignlive.com. While you're there, pick up the Sound Design Live ebook with the best material from my first two years of interviews with audio industry leaders. All right, now we can talk about taxes. <laughs> so um, there's some things I'm pretty confused about, and mm-hmm. I'll try to make it as specific as possible, but I'm hoping I can tell you my little story, and then you can make right. it easier to understand. There's a couple music venues that I work for that withhold Social Security and Medicare. And I don't have a contract with them beyond a W-9, but I'm still a little bit confused about whether or not I'm a contractor or an employee with them, and would it benefit me to have a contract with them declaring my independent status and ask them not to make withholdings? If they're withholding money from you, you are an employee. Okay. doesn't matter if you have a con- you don't need a contract, a written contract. You can hire somebody without a contract. You just say, I'm hiring you. And you have them fill out the W-9 and you withhold their income tax and their Social Security and you pay it to the IRS. And you're an employee as far as the IRS and other government agencies are concerned. And not only should they be paying your, their withholding and paying your tax, they should probably also provide you with workers' comp and pay unemployment insurance for you as well. If here in California, even mm-hmm. if you have one employee here in California, you have to do that. So you are an employee. Whenever they're withholding money from your pay, you are an employee. Whether you want to be an employee or not, that's what you are. Now, you don't have to be an employee necessarily. And uh, if you don't want to be an employee, you should talk to them and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not your, I don't want to be treated as an employee. I'm an independent contractor. I would like you not to withhold anything from my pay, and I will pay all my taxes myself. And you should probably sign an independent contractor agreement. And uh, if they're, they're happy to do that, fine. And then the advantage is there's nothing withheld from your pay. You get everything immediately. The disadvantage is you, you have to pay all your Social Security yourself. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, the way it works with an employee, the employer pays half the Social Security and then withholds the other half from the pay of the employee and then pays it to the IRS. But with your contract, you got to pay the whole thing yourself. So, but it sounds like then at the end of the day, it's the same amount of money because I'll have to pay that in taxes eventually, right? Yeah. And of course, when you're a contractor, generally they, you're supposed to be paid a little bit more than employee because you have all, you're taking care of all your expenses yourself. You should mm-hmm. be paid more per hour than the employee is. Okay. And of course, when you're a contractor, they're not, they're not allowed, they cannot control you the way they do an employee. They cannot, you're in business for yourself. You decide where you're going to work and what you're going to do. And your job is to achieve the results they want to achieve, but they can't control how you work. They can't require you to be at a certain place at a certain time unless it's, you have to do it for the job. So I'm um, only there a couple times a month, and there are yeah. a couple places like this, and I think uh, well, things treating, function this way. Uh, is that just because it's easier for them to do yeah, it that way? Yeah, they're treating you as a part-time employee, and it's the main reason they do that is because they're afraid the IRS uh, will audit them and uh, say this person should be an employee. So they're just treating you as an employee right from the beginning, okay. and it's easier 
and safer for them to do that that way. Because a lot of companies, you know, will classify workers as contractors when they're really not. Right. And this is something the IRS and other agencies are trying to prevent. And a lot of companies are afraid of uh, getting audited. So they'll classify everybody as an employee. So they're treating you as a part-time employee, hmm. which is fine. And it doesn't um, seem like it hurts me that much. Withhold it, some money that I would eventually have to pay anyway. Exactly. If that's the only way they'll hire you, you know, you have no choice. Some, some companies will not hire contractors. They refuse to. Hmm. They'll, they'll make you go through an employment agency or they'll treat you as a, their own employee because they don't want to deal with it and they're afraid. Do you recommend using software like TurboTax? If you want to do your taxes yourself, I highly recommend TurboTax, which I've used for many, many years. Okay. Uh, you don't have to do it yourself. You know, there are a lot of preparers who do it for you. But if you do it yourself, you should definitely use TurboTax. Okay. It'll make it much, much easier. Don't ever try to do it without some kind of software. Because it's, it's very complex these days, you know. It's funny. I only ever did it once by hand. My dad helped me, and then I left the country for like five years and have never done it by hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of paperwork. You could do it, but it's a lot of trouble. Of course, um, with TurboTax, understand it, it, it's not perfect. It's only as good as the information you put into it. Sure. It'll look, the end product will look okay, but. And you still have to interpret their, their questions the right way, and they try to help you out a lot, but. Yeah. I did it wrong for a couple of years, and so for people who use TurboTax, this next question, I think, will help them. Maybe I'm the only one who made this mistake, but I was putting wrong things into deductions for a lot of years. I was putting raw goods into deductions. So here's my question. Um, one of the biggest confusions for independent sound engineers and sound designers like myself is deductions. So um, I'll tell you this quick story where... Often when I work for clients, there are two kinds of expenses mm -hmm. uh, that I don't really know how to handle when I invoice them. And the first is raw goods that I need for an event, like maybe digital videotapes. And the second is equipment that the client has asked me to buy that they're reimbursing me for immediately and that they're actually keeping like maybe computer hardware. So normally I lump that all together into the same invoice. I mean, it's itemized, but it's, there's just one number at the end. And then at the end of the year, they send me a 1099 MISC. Uh, that 1099 may be for $1,000, but only 500 of that is income and the rest is expenses. Number one, you want, always want your 1099. Remember, they're going to send a 1099 to the IRS as well as to you. So you want what shows on your income tax to be the same as what the 1099 says that they've received. Otherwise, they will be suspicious. Okay. Now, um, one way to do it, when you buy these um, materials or goods for your clients, you're sort of just working as their purchasing agent, right? That's mm -hmm. just, yeah, sometimes it's just You're not like selling it at a profit, are you? No, I'm just... Just at cost. Right. The best way to do it was to, for them to pay it directly themselves and not even have it be on your 1099 at all. Okay. But if they don't want to do that, fine. Have it itemized on your 1099 uh, on the bill you send them, and when they, and when they send you the 1099, if it includes the whole expense, not only your services but also what you've purchased, and includes the whole thing in one number, as that what they paid you, you have to include that whole number as your income on your on your tax return because that's what the IRS has received, mm -hmm. and then you'll deduct as a business expense 
those goods you purchased on your Schedule C and you know, how that deduction it'll work out okay that way. So now the cost of goods sold thing, that's all. That's when you have an inventory and you're selling goods or merchandise. That's that's the main part of your business is selling goods and merchandise, which is now what your business is really. It's you're providing these sort of incidental to your service, mm-hmm. which is being a recording engineer. Like if somebody is operating a store and they're selling uh, leather goods, they have to have inventory and they have costs of goods sold and then and they figure out how much money they make, they deduct the cost of goods sold from the total money they made from the year to figure out their profit. But for your kind of job, you don't really have to do that. But the best thing is always to have them pay it directly okay. and not have anything like that on your 1099. But if it's on your 1099, if they list $1,000 as your income on 1099, You've got to have that thousand dollars on your on your Schedule C. So am I still you can't deduct it right wrong? off the bat. Should I not be subtracting raw goods? And you then... should subtract it. Uh, you list the total amount they've paid you, and then you take the amount that was for the goods that you bought. You list that as an expense, mm-hmm. which you you find a place on Schedule C to list that all those expenses, and you deduct that from what they paid you to come up with your net profit from your business. And that's the easiest way to do it if they're going to put it on the 1099. If I deduct it in Schedule C, won't I only get a percentage of it, though? Or I get 100% of that deduction? You get 100%. Okay. You deduct everything in your Schedule C. It's 100% deducted against your income, your business income. So if you made $1,000, they paid you $1,000, and you had $500 in expenses, Mm -hmm. You get that. You deduct that total five hundred dollars from your what they paid you, and you end up with five hundred dollars income, just as if they had paid you just five hundred dollars sure. instead of giving you the thousand. Things that I'm renting for their event does that can that also count? Like I'm renting lights, I'm renting a camera for their event. Those can those count? As- Are they reimbursing you for the rent? Yes. Yeah, it counts also. Okay. Another way to do it is you charge them more up front, and then they don't reimburse you. Just charge them whatever you need uh, to pay for all this stuff yeah. and, it, and there's no reimbursement so instead of charging them uh, $500 you charge $1,000 and $500 that's going to be for your equipment costs okay but then I'm going to pay taxes on that extra $500 well no because you're deducting the equipment cost to, to arrive at your net income from your business. Okay, and I can I can deduct 100% of those equipment costs? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. You can deduct 100% of all your business expenses from your business income. Well, when There's I'm, no, uh, no limit. When I'm putting those deductions in, in TurboTax, from the actions I'm seeing, I put in expenses and it subtracts some amount. So I always thought that there's like some equation, like I get 50% of that deduction, I get 30% of this one. You mean up in the left-hand corner where they yeah, see how yeah, much yeah. taxes do? Well, that's, they're still deducting 100%, and they're using that to arrive at your total tax, which is a whole different calculation. Oh, okay. But in the Schedule C, what we're doing in the Schedule C is we're figuring out what is your, your net profit from your business. And to do that, we take all the income from your business, and we deduct 100% of the expenses, and that number is either your net profit or loss from the year. And then we take that number and add it to any other income you have on your 1040, and take all your deductions and everything else and multiply it by your tax rate, and that comes out with a tax you owe. But that Schedule C is really very simple. We're just listing your gross income, 
Then down below there, we have all your expenses, and we subtract one from the other, and we come out with your net income or loss. And you get to deduct 100% of your expenses to figure out whether you have a, how much your income is or loss. Okay, well... Hopefully you have income every year, net income. Yes, hopefully. Yes. Um, of course, if you have a loss, you can deduct that against your other income if you have any, or you can even go back prior years and deduct that. What are some other tax deductions that you often see contractors missing or getting wrong that you think might apply to sound engineers? One con- one. Great deduction that a lot of people don't take or they're afraid to take is the home office deduction, which if you're a renter, it can be worth a great deal because ordinarily you can't deduct your rent at all. But with the home office deduction, you can deduct a part of your rent. Mm-hmm. And you live in an expensive area like here, that can be in, here in the Bay Area, that can be a lot of money. I wish I could take uh, more of that. I feel like I just sit at a desk and use my computer for administrative uses, but that's still 50% of my time. But I just use this little area of my apartment, you know? Yeah, well, try to enlarge your office. <laughs> you have a one-bedroom apartment? living room, yeah. Well, you could still, it, well, maybe you can take 10%. Well, 10%? Of, is it 10% of your office, of your space, or 20%? Or? It's, probably, it's probably 15%. Well, 15%, that's still not bad. Yeah. That's true. You're spending two grand a month rent, that's 300 bucks a month that you get to deduct. Anything you buy for your business is deductible one way or the other. Um, some things you can't deduct all at once. Sometimes you have to deduct them over a number of years, but everything you use for your business is deductible. So you should, number one, always keep track of everything you spend for your business. I don't know how other people do that. Maybe you could mention how you do that, but I use an app on my iPhone called... I expense it, and mm. I'll, I'll put that on the site too when I post this, but it's great. I used to take photos of yeah. receipts when I pay in cash, and when I was on tour, I was paying in cash all the time, yeah. and so I have all my expenses in there going back for the last three years, and when it comes to time to do taxes uh, in April, I just open that thing up and then itemize everything into whatever kind of category right. it should be. That's great. That's really, because uh, with an iPhone, you can take photos of all your receipts, and that's a great method, and it makes things much easier than it used to be. Do you write everything down? No, I don't. I don't have that many expenses. Okay. Uh, I put all my expenses on one credit card. Basically, everything I buy for my business, I on one credit card. Okay, that's easy. Plus I have my rent, which is a separate expense. But mm-hmm. So it's all in the credit card statement. For a couple of years, I had a business account and just ran all of my expenses through there, and that was a pretty, that was a pretty easy way. After a while, I got annoyed with the complication of having to move money around between accounts, right. so I just consolidated everything, but um, I think that's... You don't have to have a separate to business account, but it's, it can make things easier uh, to keep track of. Mm-hmm. I don't have one myself, but... Um, Sound Design Live produces free audio podcast interviews with industry experts, product reviews of pro audio books, hardware, and software, and tutorials and articles on sound engineering, sound design, and sound system design and optimization. Subscribe today at sounddesignlive.com or by searching for Sound Design Live in iTunes or SoundCloud. I don't really like working for an hourly wage. Um, I don't really think it represents very well the value that I'm giving to a client. 
So whenever possible, I'll try to use a fixed rate that allows me to possibly spend more or less time as necessary and really focus on quality work instead of punching the clock. Can you tell me about some of the more effective alternatives to hourly rates um, and how you've seen other contractors implement those with clients? Right, I agree with you. I don't like hourly rates either, and I've never used an hourly rate. Of course, I'm a, I'm a writer. Sometimes off, writers are often paid by the word, or they're paid a fixed fee for an article. That's very common these days. And when I write books, I get a royalty with a percentage of the sales, which is very easy way to do, get paid. Mm-hmm. But the hourly rate, uh, you know, it could be hard to figure out what's fair. You may be giving a lot more value than you're getting in return uh, for the work you're doing. And it depends on the nature of, of the business you're in, uh, how you can figure out how, much, how you should bill. Yeah. You know, people who do, um, oh, things like marketing, they'll, they can do it based on the results they achieve. If your sales go up so much, Dollars, I get a certain percentage of that. You know, after six months, if your sales go up $100,000, I get 20% of that or something like that. That's, that's one way of doing it. If you achieve certain results and you get a pay based on that. I've only but, seen people do day rates for, yeah. for day events, and, and that kind of makes sense. Um, and then I have used alternatives when I am doing other things like a recording project that takes more time and I can ask for a fixed rate plus any more time it might take yeah. plus commission on, on sales, things like that. That's a the little... fixed rate might be better than hourly. Um, clients often like that better because they don't, they don't think, they think you won't pad your hours that way. Mm-hmm. It's, easier to bu- it's easier to budget for for them yeah. too, I think. Or they'll have, uh, even if they pay you hourly, they'll often have a, a limit on the number of hours you can have because mm. they're afraid you, otherwise you're just kill them forever but um, <laughs> but you know there's no one way to do it and it depends on what, what kind of work you're doing and what kind of uh, how does your how does your how does the work you do make money for your clients and how can you measure that how can you measure what you're making for them and that can be hard to do yeah depending on what you're business. doing some areas it's easy like sales if you're involved in sales that's you know, easy to measure if you're being effective or not but sure Well, if there are any sound engineers or sound designers who are listening to this and have some other system besides fixed rate, a day rate, or an hourly rate, I feel like they should email me and tell me what they do. They should. Um, So one important thing you cover in your book that a lot of people don't know about is a healthcare savings account. And I say that... uh, Health savings account, yes. Health savings account. Um, I say that because... um, I mentioned that to my dad, who's been an independent contractor for a long time. He never heard about it. Uh, so I think this is a great idea for people like me who um, may only buy limited coverage or have a high deductible. Could you explain a couple of the benefits of an HSA? And also I wanted to ask, can HSA funds be used to purchase health insurance? Yeah, they can. An HSA is kind of like a uh, IRA that you just use for health expenses. And what you do is you get a, you buy a health insurance plan with a high deductible, and it's got to be at least a certain amount. It can't be you know, like at least fifteen hundred dollar deductible, something like that. And then you get a, it, then you open up a health savings account, and you can put in so much money per year, and the money you put in that account you get to deduct from your income tax, and then you take money out of that account to pay for health inspect 
expenses. You don't have to pay tax on it mm -hmm. when the money you take out. So it's kind of like an IRA, but you're just using it to pay your health expenses. And uh, when you, ideally, when you buy one of these high deductible health plans, uh, you'll have a lower monthly premium, and then you have this money. Especially if you're young, you don't go to the doctor very often. Instead of giving the money to the insurance company, you're putting more into this account that you can just keep for years and years and years and use whenever you need it. And you can use it not just for, you can use it for like buying eyeglasses or going to the dentist. Uh, I'm guessing you can't use it for preventative, th things that I consider preventative like yoga or massage or something like that. Not unless it was a doctor who prescribed it, but you can use it for prescription drugs but not non-prescription. But, um, but all dental, vision, chiropractic, all kinds of stuff. It's not just limited to the medical doctor. Okay. And that's money that you've, you've gotten the tax deduction, and then you're taking it out, you're getting, while it's in the account, it's earning income, and you don't have to pay tax on that. And you take it out, and it's totally tax-free, and you pay for these things. So it could be a great deal. Now, of course, we're having big changes starting in 2014 with the uh, Obamacare going into effect. Mm -hmm. Health savings accounts will still be available, um, but they may not be as necessary as they have been in the past. But Is that because premiums will be lower? They Possibly. may be lower for some people. And uh, with this Obamacare, it's, it's going to be very good for self-employed people because even if you have a pre-existing condition, they have to give you coverage. And many, many self-employed people will qualify for tax credits. It depends on your income. You can make up to uh, $45,000 a year if you're single and get, get tax credits to help pay for your health insurance. Okay. And a family of four can make up to 94000 a year. So that's a lot of... A lot of people will qualify for these credits, and they'll have these state exchanges, health exchanges, they call them, or marketplaces where you can buy. Right. In California, it's going to be called, called Covered, Covered California. California. Yeah. And every state has their own. And uh, you have to buy through the exchange to get these credits, but you'll be able to go on these exchanges online and compare the various coverages they have. Here in California, you'll have four or five different uh, insurers offering coverage, and there'll be different different grades of coverage from they have uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, depending on how much coverage you get. And even if you have it, they have to cover you if you have a pre-existing condition. There's no, uh, there's no lifetime limit on how much they'll pay now. That's very, very good for, for self-employed people, especially those who've had health problems. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they're, they're in their jobs now just because they can't get health care anywhere else. But they will be able to to do that, many people will probably leave their jobs, some will retire early, wow. and some may become self-employed because they'll be able to get health care coverage. Now, for some people, it will be cheaper. Older people and people who are sick, it'll be cheaper, but for younger people, it may be more expensive. It varies from state to state and how much coverage you want to get. So what is the advice then for looking at uh, health savings accounts and looking at buying health care through uh, these public forms? Go on the exchange. The exchanges are going to start October 1. Look at the exchange and look at all the plans they have available and see if you how much each of them cost. And uh, either with or without the health savings account. And compare, you'll be able to compare them all. All the plans are standardized now, so you can compare one to the other. They all have the same 
same uh, benefits and, uh, and exclusions. Okay, so I should be able to look and then say, okay, well, how much would this cost? How much would this cost me? How much account? would that cost me? And compare all, I'm going to do that myself, compare all of them, look at everything, and then make your decision. Well, won't they all still be cheaper with a health savings account? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. Okay. They'll also have, for younger people, they're going to have a special, um, people under 30 that have a special major medical um, plan, which just covers really catastrophic care, they call it. Okay. And that'll be much cheaper. Where is the best place for people to follow your work online? Well, I have a website, just came online, called uh, fishbinlawandtaxfiles.com. Okay. Fishbinlawandtaxfiles. Also, nolo.com has all my materials. Nolo.com. They sh- you should tell them to link to that new site because they link to your Google Plus page and there's no. Oh, do they? There. Bastards. <laughs> Sound design. Hey, this is Nathan. I love working on Sound Design Live. Support my mission to create the best entertaining and educational tutorials, articles, and tools for sound engineers by donating $1 right now using the donate link in the description for this podcast. Averaging 1,000 plays per episode means that $1 is all it takes to keep the show classy. Also, being supported by my listeners allows me to produce creative work for the public domain without worrying about copyright. Please share it freely so that others may benefit from it. Okay, sounddesignlive.com. Check it out.